Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Selby is Godcast here on the Athletic Cleveland, TJ Zuppi. And now joined by Zach Meisel, who is happy to be back from his honeymoon and vacation, right? Dude, you got so much you have to get off your chest, so much to talk about. <laughs> if, if I talk about everything I wanted to talk about and get everything off my chest, then our uh, podcast will crash at some point. <laughs> no one will ever get to listen to it. Some might argue that's a better thing. But I mean, you, you, you did get two weeks away from us. So you got two weeks away from the inevitable time changes and weather changes, but you dealt with a little bit of that yourself. So I, I guess I, I can't be too upset with you. Yeah, you know, the only Cleveland sports interactions I had over the last two weeks, there were three of them. One was, I, you know, I had a piece that ran after Corey Kluber won the Cy Young. Uh, kudos to Kluber, who probably there's probably never been a pitcher who cares less about winning a really significant award than Corey Kluber winning the Cy Young after his postseason falter. But um, that was one. Two was uh, because we were in Maui, five-hour time change. The Browns were on at 8 a.m. They were done before noon. And I was wearing a Cleveland shirt one day at the beach, and, and some guy asked me, uh, you just wanted to talk about the Browns. And it was I think it was Sunday, and it was like the afternoon. I was like, you do know that they already lost today. And he was like, it hadn't dawned on him <laughs> that they played so much earlier because of the time, time change. So if you want to escape the Browns' misery, I would say just go west. Well, um, and th- three would be just someone I will never forget who uh, – we can dive into the story more later maybe. But a, a man who, with all sincerity, asked me <laughs> if the Browns are coming back. <laughs> like – like it was I, I too also. I, I also wonder when the Browns are coming back. I there were so many like ways. Yeah, there back for a while. So many ways I could have answered it, and I was just so taken aback. He was like, I, you know, I heard that they they might be coming back. Like, are they building a new stadium? It's like, <laughs> you know, you're not entirely wrong, actually. No, uh, you you could be from 2017, <laughs> and that actually might kind of be a valid question. Uh, the question I have for you this week, Zach, as we're recording this before Thanksgiving, there there is no lack of those that already have put up their their Christmas lights. I'm not saying holiday lights because it is Christmas lights, um, Christmas trees, and, and 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 all this that goes along with the holiday. And every year we seemingly extend this more and more, and people are celebrating it sooner and sooner. And for some that that's not a great thing for others. They sort of celebrate it. And I'm wondering which end of that spectrum you're on. And I'll, and I will ask, I will tell you why I'm asking you that here in a second, but first I have to know if those that already have the lights up, have the Christmas trees up, have the, the Christmas music playing in their vehicles everywhere they drive to, are they insane for already doing that before Thanksgiving? They're not insane. 
and I'd be a hypocrite if I said otherwise because, you know, it was less than 24 hours when we got back from our honeymoon that our Christmas tree was up and the new ornaments from Maui and from San Francisco and even from the Alcatraz gift shop um, <laughs> were still, hanging on the tree. I still can't believe that there are Christmas ornaments that you can buy from Alcatraz. I, just, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> It's not like Al Capone's head on a little string. It's just the building, the island from from a distance. Um, Can you see but... Nicolas Cage on the beach? Oh wait, no, never mind. That's a movie reference. You wouldn't. Get you know, that. I did not know that The Rock was about Alcatraz until I saw <laughs> the movie for sale in the gift shop. That's probably like the the biggest thing they can celebrate there is having Nicolas Cage save the island by running out there with a bunch of flares. It's it was a pretty incredible moment. It was based yeah. on a true story, I was told. But even we were eating lunch before we went to Alcatraz. We're on the pier. It's a nice sunny day. It's 62 degrees. And in this seafood restaurant, they're playing Christmas music. And we're <laughs> still like six weeks from Christmas at this point. And it's, it was, we're, we're talking about like escapees who may or may not be alive after um, fleeing from Alcatraz. And in the background, it's like chestnuts roasting <laughs> over an open fire. Like it, it's, it was. It did not seem to fit uh, too early in my mind. I, th- I think we should wait till after Thanksgiving. We already have the Christmas lights up. We haven't turned them on yet. We have them on a switch. It's by the door. We we turn it on to see. Okay, what does it look like? Does are all the lights on? But beyond that, we haven't turned it on at night yet. I figure we can at least get to Thanksgiving. We've had the tree up for like a week. And that's inside the house, so the lights are already on, and, and Ethan loves it. In fact, like the first thing he wants to do when he gets out of bed in the morning is go downstairs and turn the Christmas tree on. So from that respect, I don't think you can get too mad at us for, for that. But are, are, we, are we crazy for already having done the, the background work of putting on up the, the Christmas lights? Because I, as we were doing it, I was seeing people drive by, and I'm like looking in their cars to see if I'm getting any judgmental looks for us <laughs> actually putting the lights up when we were doing it before Thanksgiving. I just like wanted to flag everyone down and say, hey, whoa, 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 hey, hey, we're not going to turn them on yet, okay? Don't think what you're thinking about us. We're not turning them on yet. Uh, no, I, you're just doing the homework so that when that clock ticks to midnight after Thanksgiving, you can turn them on and you're just ahead of the game. Everyone else is going to be playing catch-up. So it makes sense. It's, But yeah, I, I can see how you feel a little dirty inside. What's the earliest date to actually turn the lights on? Is it any time before Thanksgiving? I think so. I mean, we've had, especially in Cleveland, you always have like that Indian summer sometime in November. And I don't know that it's going to hit. I think I saw might get up near 61 day early next week. But that, of course, can change too. So, but it doesn't it feel weird when you turn on your Christmas lights and it's like 67 <laughs> degrees outside? A little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like being in San Francisco when they're playing Christmas music. So I guess I get that. Yeah, it's it's it was weird. And then uh, just the because like we we go to the to Alcatraz and we had the nighttime tour, so it's dark and it's supposed to be scary. And you're walking through these empty cell blocks, and I'm like thinking, you know, an hour ago I was listening to Jingle Bells. Like this, <laughs> it's just weird. Very weird juxtaposition. Did you record any uh, EVPs, any ghost-like activity? You know, that place is haunted out there. So a little jealous that you're actually there and able to investigate if you chose to. 
No, you know, our our founder, who I'm sure is an avid listener to this podcast, um, Adam Hansman, was, is obsessed with the ghost theories in Cell Block D um, and sent me, I'm supposed to watch some episode of some show where they talk about it, but there, you do this audio tour and it's 45 minutes long and you, you walk through basically the whole main prison cell and you, you look at various areas and they show you how guys escaped, what a cell looked like, the different rooms. And you're doing this and there are like, I don't know, 200 people walking around and you're listening and they're telling you, take a right here, walk here. So you're always in a big group. And at one point I walked and I was the only person down this one hallway. And I thought for sure I must have made a mistake or something happened because why, why would I be alone away from the big mass, uh, the big group? So it was, it wasn't the one that's supposedly haunted, but I thought there was something really eerie about it when I get to the end of the hallway and I turn around and there's nobody else in sight. So I thought either I was going to get trapped there overnight or some ghosts were going to get me or I was going to be forced to try to swim back to shore and <laughs> eaten by a shark. But um, thankfully it was just for some reason I just sped up ahead of the pack. It, it's sort of fitting that you felt alone because while you were away, you didn't field many, you didn't see many questions on Twitter and rightfully so. You should have put down your phone as much as possible other than maybe checking in on some HBD free agents or, or something to that effect. Uh, wouldn't want any of your you know juggernaut teams to slip into obscurity. <laughs> but a number of Indians fans almost feel like this offseason is going to go by and they're going to turn around and their favorite baseball team is going to be empty and they're going to be alone and there's going to be nobody left after the great purge of the, the 2017 offseason. And while I, I guess I understand that, I, I, I know where they're coming from because there's a lot of important names that are free agents with Santana, with Shaw, with Smith, with, with Bruce, with Jackson. You know, there's a lot of guys that, that really had a, a big influence on, on this past season. But is it as bad as what it seems? I mean, in the moment, it, when you're going to see, you know, if you see Santana sign with the Phillies or the Red Sox or, or, or whoever he ends up signing with, it's going to feel weird seeing that take place. And I'm sure for some fans, they're going to feel that sense of, you know, crap, he's gone and I don't know how we're going to replace him. But is it as bad as what it feels in that moment? Do you think things are as dire as they're probably going to, to feel like at, at various points this winter? So there, let, let's, let's rate this with the system, okay? Let's go DEFCON 1 through 5. And let's say right now it's DEFCON 5, least severe. And what would it take to get to DEFCON 1? And like, let's say Santana signs with the Red Sox. Does that boost it to DEFCON 3? I mean, is, is there... If they lose all of those guys and they replace from mostly within and they don't make any big sexy moves, does anyone think they're still not going to win the division? I mean, I think I think there's reason to be alarmed. There's reason to be nervous, stressed, whatever you, you want to feel, just because it seemed like they had so much depth and so much talent last year that that was as good. At, like That might be the best roster they have during this run. Um, I, I would argue that the 95 team had the best roster that that, that era had. Uh, so well, 95, maybe even the first half of 96. So you never know 
and we've talked about this, you never know when you're going to peak when you have this five, six, seven year window. And even if you peak, that doesn't necessarily reduce your chances of winning the World Series. And I think that's kind of what we need to remind ourselves because how are they going to get to the playoffs? You're going to try to, you're going to win the division. And I think even if Minnesota goes out and gets Garrett Cole and Alex Cobb and uh, trades for a couple of relief, like they're going to have to do a lot just to get close to the Indians level. The Indians are going to be the division favorites for certainly this coming year and probably the next two years after that. And so that's their ticket to the playoffs. And then you get to the playoffs and you say, okay, well, how do you win in the playoffs? You win by Kluber being Kluber, Carrasco being Carrasco, not, you know, messing around with the, the rotation order and getting cute with the roster. And, and so they still have, they should still have as good of a chance at making noise in October as they did this year. Even if they lose Santana, even if they lose Bruce. Um, and so I think we have to take a step back and realize they're still going to be really good and they can lose players and still like you'd rather have those guys, but I guess it's not completely debilitating. It's not going to shut the window this winter. Um, And I think with the Indians, they're kind of, I think you also have to think about the future and you know, you're going to lose Cody Allen. You're going to lose Andrew Miller or or you might lose those guys are going to be free agents. So how do you extend this thing out? So it's not just one more year. How do you make sure it's, three or four years instead. Right. The biggest thing that probably stands in their way of, of trying to do that through free agency is the lack of funds. I mean, right now they're already to a point where they're beyond what their opening day payroll was uh, last year. And this is factoring in guys that will be in arbitration and the contract renewals and all the guys that are under contract. I mean, they're already projected to be close to, almost $130 million. And that's before they do anything else the, the rest of this offseason. And, and I guess that's probably why people are trying to find ways to trade J- Jason Kipnis or, or Jan Gomes, just trying to free up any money that they can. Because right now, you know, what are they messing with? Six to $12 million? Is, is that the ceiling here for what they can do? I mean, I, I know some of that can change based on opportunity, You know, because last year I don't think they went in knowing that they could have – $60 million to spend on any sluggers, but when Encarnacion fell in their lap, it became kind of a, a rare instance where they were probably willing to spend more than they were originally comfortable with. But I, I think you're right in that <clears throat> we look so much at the guys that they're losing and, and kind of lose sight of the guys that are already here. I mean, you have two of the top four finishers in the American League, Cyan and Kluber and Carrasco. You have four of the top 20, three of the top 10 in AL MVP voting in Lindor, Ramirez, Kluber, and Encarnacion. All those guys are still here. Allen and Miller might be gone after 2018, but they're still here through next year. So, I mean, a lot of the, the core is still in place and not moving. And the thing that this whole, this whole run was founded on back when this all started was the starting pitching, and that's all still pretty much intact. And, and maybe they can even get better there. You know, there's, there, there are going to be times through this winter where – you know, when you see Santana or Bruce or Jackson or, or Shaw, or, you know, all these guys sign elsewhere where it's going to be like, man, how do you replace that production? Um, and it's going to be a challenge, but you're still talking about, you're not talking about trying to replace Lindor or Ramirez. And, and I think that's probably important because, you know, I, you and I and, and many others have tried to establish how important and vital 
and and steady and constant Carlos Santana has been, but he's still not a superstar player. He's just a really good, solid player that is very consistent and you can count on for two and a half to three and a half, even even up to at times getting a little bit higher than that as far as wins go. But I mean, can you repl- can you through through the moves you make, can you replace three wins of Carlos Santana? Maybe not w- all with one guy, but can you? bring in multiple guys that can give you that three to four wins that that's that you would lose in Santana. I mean, I think you can do it. It's a challenge. Yeah. And you got to kind of figure out how to make the pieces fit. But I mean, when you still have the core in place, at least through the next year with, with the guys that are probably the most important to the team, it should at least give you some comfort knowing that that part of the roster is not changing. But does it matter anyway? I mean, if I'm not, look, if I'm them, I'm doing everything I can to sign Santana. If I'm ownership, I'm saying, okay, if I need to increase payroll even more this year just so we can accommodate Brantley's $12 million for a year and Kipnis's contract before maybe we can move him when it's easier next season or, or move Jan Gomes, like, especially given the interest in the team and the, the boost in attendance and all that, I, like, I, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to do those things and to I be agree. aggressive and right. to keep, keep seizing the moment. But if you lose Santana's three-ish wins and you you play Yandy Diaz more or you play Tyler Naquin or something and maybe they give you one win, like that's not going to derail your chances of winning the division. And in the postseason, when everything is so you know, everything matters, it's it's more maximized and, and or magnified. Like, I don't know that going from Santana to Yandy Diaz is going to cost you in the tiny sample size of 16 games in the playoffs. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that it's not important to sign these guys. I think it's, I think it's critical to, to do absolutely everything you can to make sure you have as much talent as possible this year, next year, and the year after. But I also don't think it's worth freaking out on about or, or abandoning the ship just because their roster might not look quite as good next year as it did in August and September of 2017. I mean, if we're going on your scale to go higher than three there or, or lower, however you want to look at it, I, I think you need to have like Lindor or Ramirez or, or Kluber or somebody get hurt working out or you know something unforeseen to happen to change the the complexion of the guys that are already in place. So I don't think you can really, I mean, can you get worse than three? And I might argue that you, you might not ever even get worse than four on that scale based just on the guys you already have brought, you know, you know your capabilities of bringing back. And, and I think there are enough al- alternative options out there, whether it's at first base in free agency or, you know, they've built up, quite a, a litany of, of middle infield depth and catcher depth that if they want to trade from there to, to find somebody that would be cheaper than the free agency cost, or, or maybe you can get back for, for multiple seasons. I mean, there, there are avenues in which they can do it. It's not as if, you know, the end of the Tigers run, they had a lot of money on the books and they, they didn't have a lot of flexibility, but they also didn't have much to trade from. And they were just kind of stuck with the players that they had. And they just had to hope that they played well. The Indians, I feel like there's at least some flexibility, enough flexibility that 
if they lose some important players, they can at least plug some guys in that, yeah, maybe maybe aren't as good at a loss, but are close enough that you're not dropping from 102 wins down to eight, to 83 wins or something like that. Yeah, I, I think I, mean, I think we agree on this. I, I think it's understandable. If fan, I mean, you hate, especially after what the Indians went, what Indians fans went through, and in, in seeing for so many years their best players, just whether it's via free agency or via trade, go play somewhere else in the prime of their career and excel elsewhere. And and oftentimes the Indians got nothing in return. Obviously, later on we learned Michael Brantley and Carlos Carrasco made those trades of Cy Young winners at least tolerable. And so it's it's understandable. You, you know, you go see Santana, a guy who has expressed how badly he would want to stay in Cleveland. If Well, if he goes and signs with the Red Sox and you're fighting them in October, that's going to be pretty doubly frustrating. So I get it. But I, I also think these aren't positions where there's less flexibility. You know, it, even if... If it's not Lindor, like if Santana played shortstop and then went and signed elsewhere, well, yeah, it'd be really hard to find a shortstop who could post a 375 on base percentage and whack 25 home runs and play every single day and and be in position to win a gold glove too. So the good thing is that there are other people who can play first base, and, the, and you might not do it to Santana's ability, um, and you might not find a right fielder who can hit 36 home runs, and you might not find a reliever who can make 80 appearances a year, but you can find guys who can at least cover some or most of what those guys did. Whereas if you did lose one of your top starting pitchers, one of your top relievers, one of your your those tougher positions to replace on the diamond, that's going to be a lot more difficult, and that might have more impact on your pursuit of another division title and, and your October plans. So again, it, it's, they need to add, you can't just let all these people walk and do nothing. But I think because of the positions these guys play and the makeup of the roster, you can at least survive if you lose these guys. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree. There's probably going to be not a lot of ways to improve upon the depth that you already had. Uh, but I mean that depth was as incredible as we've ever we've ever seen. Um, th- it's that isn't vital, isn't completely necessary to go out and win a World Series. It just maybe makes your chances better. So maybe you go from a twenty percent chance of winning the World Series down to a seventeen percent chance. I mean three percent is a big jump, but it's also seventeen percent chance. You know, and I'm just kind of throwing out an arbitrary number right now. But is is I looking? And I think you make a good point about. Um, the positions that guys play that that is important because even as we saw last year with Encarnacion, who's not just a power guy, he makes contact, he walks, he gets on base, um, has been one of the the more feared right-handed sluggers in the American League, if not baseball, the last two years, and the market even crumbled for him. So, is it possible that Jay Bruce could have something similar happen on a grander scale to to his level where? Yeah, maybe maybe that three or four year deal for you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen million dollars isn't out there, and somehow he gets pushed back to the Indians on a shorter two year deal or something like that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not ruling that out. I think right now it's difficult to see that happening just because we're so early in this process. But I mean, I would have said that about Encarnacion last year. I mean, even the first day of the winter meetings, it was kind of 
haha kind of laughable and by day four it was like you know what maybe i could see this happening um so i mean things can change in the off season based on trades and all sorts of different things but even in looking at free agency i think there are are guys there that again aren't going to give you the same production as santana but if you brought let's say logan morrison in on a deal that's that's less than santana and, and maybe it's a unique situation so you bring him in I mean, last year, he, you know, he made that adjustment. He hit more fly balls than ever before and was at 46%. And he was lifting more and hit 38 home runs, blasting his all-time career high. You know, had a 130 WRC plus. And yeah, he faded a, a bit. So is all of that real? I don't know. But you're also talking about a guy that made some tangible adjustments that you know, I'm sort of intrigued by and was worth 3.3 wins last year, which was... More than Santana. I, I, I don't, I, I would not take Morrison over Santana, uh, all things being equal, but I'm just looking for other ways that you could kind of cover your loss. Same thing with, with Yonder Alonso. If either one of those guys, if you brought them in that made those tangible changes to start walking more, to start hitting the ball in the air a little bit more, kind of take advantage of baseball's environment, you, know, the, you brought those guys in to, to even just be your platoon option against right handers. And then find what you have to do against lefties. Yeah, I think there are ways that you can get all this done. So, I, so I, yeah, at the at the end of the day, you'd love to, as an Indians fan, see Santana and Bruce and Shaw and all these guys back, but it's not going to happen. I will say of that group, I, I I think Joe Smith is probably the most vital to bring back. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, they're going to have to. They they need a reliever. There's no doubt. They need someone reliable. I don't know if it's Joe Smith or if it's it's someone else. I think, I think it's going to come down to money, obviously, and and that's why, kind of segues into what I was going to say. There's kind of a chicken and an egg, um, like cause and effect here this off season. Like the Indians, I don't know what ownership is going to do. Um, we don't know what their payroll is going to be, even after they signed Encarnacion last year. Mike Chernoff told us, that's it. There's no more money. Like th- There won't be any more signings. And then they went out and gave Boone Logan like <laughs> $7 million guaranteed. So um, I-, I think it's going to be interesting to see because we know, like, we know they can't afford Santana and Bruce and Shaw and Smith. Um, but they can afford more if they're able to trade Jan Gomes or Jason Kipnis um, or somebody else. So at what point do they make that sort of trade? Do they wait until a player is out of their price range and they realize they need to replace them with someone else? Do they do that toward the end of the off season um, when they have a better idea for what their needs are or, or what they don't need really? Cause Kipnis seems to be a man without a position. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting. And I, I'm just really curious to see how that is tied to payroll because you would think that Paul Dolan is a, is a smart guy. You would think that they would be flexible. And if there's, you know, you don't want, if there's a set number in mind, you don't want to like hamstring yourself and say, well, we can get up to 140, but not 145. Look, you might never have a better chance to win a World Series. If you have to go to 145, you go 145 this year, and you figure it out from there. Well, and I think um, the the player is important too, Zach. I mean, yeah, they're not spending that money on just anybody. They did that because they thought Encarnacion, you know, was worth that, and was in a rare instance where they could give that sort of money. And it was this, almost the same thing with Boone Logan too, where it's like 
you know, we wouldn't be doing this just for anybody. We wouldn't just be spending this to spend this. We're spending this because we think it's a unique situation. So that's why I think, you know, where right now it might be tough to see it happening. I, I wouldn't, I guess at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if there were some avenue that brings Jay Bruce back. To, and maybe they spend more money than they initially thought, but they say, look, you know, you're not, you're not going to get a, a player that gives you this sort of production for this price much of anywhere. And while we may go two or three million over where we initially wanted to go, what's two or three million to bring back a guy like this? So that's, so that's where I think that's kind of important to keep in mind too. I'm with you, but the other thing is is the rising cost of players you already have, and we're seeing it this year because Cody Allen will probably earn about ten million in arbitration, and you know if you're going to try to keep him or Andrew Miller beyond next season, that's going to cost you a bunch. This is the last year of Francisco Lindor pre-arbitration. He'll only make probably a few million his first year, but after that, that price tag's going to go way up, and then you're going to start stressing about losing him in free agency and wondering if you should trade him and get something for him before it's too late. You're going to have guys like Kluber and Carrasco whose price tags go up, Salazar and Bauer in arbitration. Their prices will rise every year. So it's your, your core, your really good players, those guys who you wouldn't mind paying a ton of money to, those guys who if they were on the open market would make a ton of money, you're going to have to pay them more. And so that's why I think like if you have to bite the bullet this year while Francisco Lindor is making – $500,000, do it. Go go and pay somebody that extra money. That's why like, I didn't mind the Brantley thing because, one, you never know. You didn't know what was going to happen with Santana and Bruce, so at least you just keep Brantley. And, and do I think he's worth $12 million? No. Do I think it's a mistake if that prevents you from making other moves? Yes. But my thought was it shouldn't prevent you. If ownership is, is doing things the way they should be doing, Brantley's $12 million should not matter because you're very lucky Lindor's making $500,000. You're very lucky Jose Ramirez is only making a couple million. You're very lucky Kluber and Carrasco are making what they're making. So I think the thing to consider is that, you, and we can say this over and over, you got to strike now. And, you know, money, it, you should have limits. You, you shouldn't go out and, and hand anyone one of those seven-year $200 million deals because – those are never worth it. Um, but someone like Santana, if you're willing to go, you know, three for 45, then be willing to go three for 54 if you have to. And I just think it's going to be, I don't think it's crippling if you lose all these guys, but I, I don't think you want to get in your own way from signing them if the opportunity is there. All right. Before we wrap things up this week, I had uh, one question on Twitter that was floated our way from James wants to know our favorite away stadium and city to travel to. You know, we talked about food in the past. So do we include the food here again as well? Or is that part of the equation? So that's the thing is like, it's an interesting question because what we have the time to do in these cities we travel to is limited. So like, there are cities I love, but I don't love as much for when we travel to them because, you know, what do we have time to do? Grab lunch and then maybe hit up a bar at night or something? Like, it's, it's tough. So, I don't know. That's, that's a it's a tough question. Yeah, what I would mean, you say? Traveling to New York for work is 
the equivalent of me running headfirst into a wall about 45 times in a row. <laughs> Traveling there for fun, to sightsee, to you know, do all the fun things of New York is great. So that's where it's like tough to find the line. It's almost why, and maybe maybe this will be my answer, why I was almost sort of rooting for a Twins-Indians ALDS because, yeah, Minneapolis might not have all the sights and sounds and smells of New York, but it also is a much easier city to go work in and cheaper mm-hmm. and, and you know, much easier to just kind of relax in and not feel like every minute I might be getting my wallet stolen. So, you know, maybe that's my answer to, to go travel somewhere. I want it to be somewhere that's kind of, you know, chill and laid back and he's very easy to do my job. Uh, so I'll say Minneapolis because it's a beautiful ballpark and uh, the area is nice for work. I think walking to the ballpark is a big plus. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the Kansas City trip um, because it's. I think it's the best food in terms of ballpark, press box food, and just food options outside of that. The issue, though, is that you got to drive to the ballpark every day. So that's it. Just adds a lot of time. It's kind of annoying. You got to rent a car, or get Ubers every everywhere you go. Um, so that that would take a little bit out of it for me. But then. You know, the question was ballpark and city, because I would say, like, Chicago is one of my favorite cities in the country, but it depends what team the Indians are playing. <laughs> if they're playing the Cubs, I love Wrigley. It's one of my favorites to visit. If they're playing the White Sox, um, it's I know that I'm really going to enjoy my time outside of, of the games, and I'm going to be sitting in a boring museum for three days <laughs> uh, from, like, 2 p.m. to 1 a.m. every day. So it's... It's tough. That's why I might rank Boston at or near the top of my list. I really like the city. A lot of good spots to go to, mm-hmm. and and I really like Fenway. So that might be uh, that might be number one for me. As far as favorite ballpark, uh, going to San Francisco this year was was phenomenal, and very much enjoyed that. It was so interesting to to do the Oakland San Francisco part of that trip because you go from the worst stadium in the majors and the worst area to try to do that. And it feels like you are walking into Alcatraz every day of, of going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you got the half. It's, it's all surrounded by fencing and barbed wire. It's like, what, where am I going right now? And then you go across the Bay to San Francisco, which uh, was, was a very enjoyable experience. So maybe I will change my answer to if we can just stay on the San Francisco side of things, going to San Francisco was pretty cool. So I, that's, I, that will be my answer. And I am sticking to it. Final answer? You all good? Anything else? No. I, well, now I'm th- like, well, the Indians have a couple games in spring training in Las Vegas. And, and I'm been going back and forth in my mind on whether that's a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing. Um, it's it, Las Vegas is my favorite city in the world. It's I go there a few times a year and it's just like my haven, my chance to escape reality. And the Indians playing there is kind of awkward. Like I don't know what, what I. <laughs> that's like that's like when your real friends meet meet your work friends. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's kind of weird yeah. seeing you guys all interact. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's probably a bad thing. Actually, if I had to make one choice or the other. All right, I have one question for you before we get out of here. Favorite Thanksgiving food. man like your go-to food the thing you if you it's the thing that you think of 
when you're thinking of Thanksgiving and you have to get the most of it on your plate and you probably eat it first, what is it? I'm going to put, I'm going to pick two things. And it's funny because, oh, okay. Well, I listened to, before we sat down and do this, (laughs) I was listening to Bull and Fox on 92.3 and Bull this year decided he's not doing turkey. He's doing prime rib (laughs) and it sparked this whole debate and Bull was reading only the people who tweeted at him and said, great move. You're so smart. And I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I understand that a lot of people think Turkey's overrated and they don't like it. I love Turkey. I think you pour some gravy on it. I think it's great. And so I like the main part of Thanksgiving. The reason that we all get together. It's it's the turkey. It's it's what you think of when you think of Thanksgiving. So I turkey and then I really like cranberries. I am I was always my whole life just look forward to the stuffing. I would eat more stuffing than anything. Just just put half of my plate stuffing. Uh, a couple of years ago I realized it's not my favorite anymore. Green bean casserole. Love uh, green bean casserole. What about when they serve it in press dining? <laughs> Somehow it just doesn't quite add up to what <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, Thanksgiving. Well, I hope you en- enjoy your, your Thanksgiving. I hope you eat enough turkey to last you for several days. Although I will say the the thought, because this is there always so much turkey afterwards, just left over in the fridge for days. The thought of eating a turkey sandwich the like later that day or the next day is the worst thing ever to me. That's the last thing I want to eat after I just destroyed all this food for probably three different meals on Thanksgiving. Are, are, are you with me on saying no to turkey sandwiches? Yeah, I actually, I, I think leftovers suck. Yeah, me Period. too. Period. I'm not a fan. I want hot and fresh. <laughs> Welcome to America. Well, I hope you I hope you have a pleasant Thanksgiving. I hope everyone yeah. listening has a pleasant Thanksgiving as well. I uh, I hope you enjoy your break from Christmas to celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks, buddy. Uh, we thank each and every single one of you for listening this week, whether it's before or after Thanksgiving. Maybe you're listening to this in March. I don't know. They're all on demand. But thank you for subscribing at The Athletic. And we've got a number of great deals. You can get like $10 in Amazon cash. Is that what I saw? If you just refer a friend, like just refer a friend, get them to sign up and you get $10. Like, okay. And they get a discount on their subscription. I mean, come on, man. It, it, it's all about giving this time of year, but yeah, it's not so bad when you get something out of the deal as well. Uh, so you can hook yourself up with that at The Athletic. And also be sure to subscribe to us. On Apple Podcasts, on Bumpers, just search Selby is Godcast, or of course, follow us at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel on Twitter, and we'll be able to shoot you the links there. Thanks for listening this week to the Selby is Godcast, and we'll talk to you next week.